You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman in what is our second Sixers beat in four days, five days. I don't I don't know. I can't do math. That's why I'm a writer. Uh, welcome, Rich. How you doing? I'm good, man. There. I mean, there was some breaking news last night. We, we did not expect such a lively night down at the arena. No, it was it was funny. I was writing my column on Fultz's return. And I'm like, you know, we, we just went into the pregame press conference thinking this is a normal game for a team in a playoff hunt chasing 50 wins. And I kind of stopped myself right there. And it's like, there's absolutely nothing normal about what I just said, not for this team, for the city and for this fan base. But when you throw in the mix that Markel Fultz making his, not his season debut because he played four games in what seems like an eternity go back in October. Um, but making his return to the lineup when nobody had any real inkling that this was on the table. I mean, you had a sense talking to Brett Brown that, you know, they were they were really ready to play him. He's He's been saying that, you know, for a week or two now, and after after he says it so many times, you get the sense that he, he actually means it. Uh, like if, if Fultz came up to him and he said he's ready to play, that they would actually play him. Uh, but there was no indication that this was, was actually around the corner, that this was happening Monday night. You know, I guess looking back on it, given how much of this was driven by Fultz's confidence and his own evaluation of his own readiness, uh, there was always this chance that it was going to be his last minute, oh, by the way, Markel's playing tonight. Uh, situation, uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect for it to come. I mean, geez, Brown didn't, he didn't bring it up until like seven minutes into his, his pregame press conference. Yeah, uh, you almost, um, you almost don't even think to ask anymore about it uh, because you almost expect that if it was going to happen, you would get a press release about it or a printout, which for some reason they'd love to do of the injury report, injury report, and he wouldn't be on it. Here, a media member asked Brett, he's like, "Hey, Ben learned so much sitting out that year." Could Markel essentially do the same thing? And Brett's like, oh, by the way, let me tell you something about that Markel Fultz. He's playing tonight. <laughs> it was it was quite a stunning press conference. I remember, you know, the room getting quiet and a couple of nervous laughters, and you almost couldn't you almost couldn't believe it. It was it was quite an, an amazing development for sure. Yeah, I went back and rewatched it. It I mean, I went completely silent, but w- when you ran the video back there was a decent amount of laughter right because it was just such a preposterous thing to say in the middle of a bo- frankly boring pregame media session and then Brett he drops the freaking hammer I'll tell you something about Markel Fultz that guy's playing the night and uh I I put this out on Twitter but as the grizzled vets of the Sixers beat that we are I remembered <laughs> a precedent for this that really isn't a precedent at all. The, the Sixers were playing out the string toward a lot of lottery balls a few years ago, and Brett announces that Jason Richardson would play out of the blue after missing, I don't know, three years, ten years, I, I forget how long that was. This one was a little bit different, and I mean, it, it was it was a crazy night. I mean, it, it was hilarious in the beginning that everyone in the building was thinking the same thing for the first time all season. You have this this starting lineup that's just rolling people the entire year. And everyone in the crowd, everyone in the press is thinking, let's just get to the bench minutes. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> which we sat there going, God, Brett, will you just sub out Ben Simmons? What's going on here? It was it was amazing because, of course, uh, you know, Markel Fultz, Brown said before the game, he was like, we're going to try to keep him locked in as Ben Simmons backup at the point guard spot. We're going to give him the ball and, and really keep him on ball like that, at least for now, at least for the time being, until we see how he reacts and, and where we go from there. So you're sitting there, you know Markel's not going to be, you know, he's not going to come in for J.J. Redick off the ball. He's not going to come in alongside Ben Simmons. So you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I know this starting lineup is rolling people, and I know how this team can struggle without Ben Simmons on the court, but God, could you just take him off for a minute? Like, I know this guy can run all day, and that's something Brett said in the pregame press conference. He's like, it's amazing how Ben doesn't get tired. He goes seven, eight, nine minutes into the game. Every other starter has been subbed out, and it's like, Brett, can you just get on with it? Come on. Come on. Yeah, and then and then he finally comes in, and it was an incredible crowd last night. It was it was something. I mean, the building was jumping anyway because in the second half, I mean, Embiid and Simmons and Saric were just out of their minds how good they were and how how much fun they were to Embiid on the defensive end and those other two guys pushing the ball in transition. Which is is a pretty regular occurrence now, Rich. This, you you got to remember this is a second half team as we've said all year. Yep. And I mean, they're rolling people and and the building has been fun uh for a, I mean the whole year, but but it's really picked up the last you know couple the last month or so as the Sixers continue just to be unable to lose at the Farg uh, in 2018. But the the Markell thing, the crowd, I, you know, Philadelphia, and you wrote about this today in your uh, piece on the Athletic. Philly has the reputation of a tough town where the fans are very demanding and they don't want to hear any excuses and, and all that stuff. But last night, that was, uh, can I say, that was probably the most empathetic crowd I have ever seen, maybe in sports. I mean, They were physically trying to lift this kid's spirits up. And I thought they did a really good job uh, of, of doing that. And you know, this has been such an unprecedented situation in so many ways. And, you know, I thought overall last night, we'll get to his play in a minute, it was an unqualified success. Considering those difficult circumstances and how hard the first game back was going to be for this kid, for Markel to finish with a nice stat line and knock down a couple of uh, hezzy pull-up Jimbos, I know those were in garbage time, but still, in a blowout win in front of a raucous crowd, that's probably about as good as the Sixers could have hoped for. It really was. And I think we have to start off with the crowd. Because that, to me, for as much as... that That's not true. There's so many major takeaways for this. But I was blown away by the... I mean, this is a, this is a town that has lived off of a reputation. Deserve it or not. And I, as a lifelong Philadelphia resident, I would very strongly argue that it's not deserved. But this is a town with a reputation of eating its athletes alive, of not being supportive, of uh, of throwing batteries and booing Santa, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it happened 60 fucking years ago, but it, it, it's the reputation this town has. And there's been a lot of frustration with Markel, with Markel's situation. I'll say it that way. And a lot of people who don't understand why a player who was cleared medically uh, in terms of the structure of his shoulder from the jump 
in terms of being cleared for basketball activities, you know, we're talking now three months ago, there's been a lot of frustration that he hasn't been on the court. So when you hear the news that he is going to play, one of the things I first thought of is, well, how is how is how are the fans going to react to this? How are the fans going to react if he comes out and he airballs his first shot? Which, oh, by the way, he airballed his first shot. And for the crowd to react the way they did with universal applause, uh, I think he had like a two to three minute standing ovation when he first checked into the game. He came in and received the inbound pass, which is maybe the most basic <laughs> thing you could ever do in this sport. And he got another ovation. He turned Dude. the ball over. He got applause. Dude, I was out there for pregame warm-ups. His first shot was just a basic layup that you would see any <laughs> high school kid take where he just laid the ball in. The, the whole arena was clapping for him. It was absolutely insane. And you got to the end. You had the We Want Fultz chant. Final three minutes of the game, of a 20-point game. The game was over. You know, full arena We Want Fultz, Fultz chant. Um, slipped with Fultz because of the next chant that's coming up. Then you had a full arena false variation of the skull chant, which I've seen they tr- them, the fans try to do in the Wells Fargo Center a number of times now this year. It's been pretty popular over the last month after that, that little thing of the Super Bowl. I've never seen it catch on the way it is. They've, tr- they've done a bunch of false variants of it. And you'd see like a hundred people do it. And they try to get it going and it just wouldn't work. And this was a full arena. You know, if there's 20,000 people in the arena, there's probably 16,000 of them doing the skull chant. And to see them all do that for a kid who has missed most of the season under under uncertain circumstances. To see all of them do that and get behind him, it was really good to see. And there's you know a lot that we can talk about, including part of us where we have to do our job, and we'll get to that later. But this is a kid who clearly went through a lot. And you could see in Brett Brown, this wasn't... Brett was, was on the verge. His voice was cracking in the pregame press conference. You could see that this wasn't a garden yep. variety shoulder injury. Like he, this meant something to him, and for the entire arena to support him the way that they did, something that I don't think a lot of the national media would have expected Philadelphia fans to do. Something I don't think is getting a whole lot of attention today in, in terms of the coverage of it. Which, if it would have gone the other way, you, you you damn well know it would have. And something that I really give the Sixers fans a lot of credit for. I really do. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see what. The, the reaction is moving forward. I mean, because and now let's let's get into the play a little bit. Um, we, we talked about how last night was certainly a success, and I think a lot of that was from the emotional aspects of everything, the, the mental aspects for Fultz. None of that is to say that what we saw last night was the Markel Fultz from Washington. No, no. We did I, not. If anybody expected that, by the way, you were you, – you were – your expectations were wildly out of place. Wildly. Even if he hadn't gone through what he did in terms of relearning his shooting motion, there was no chance after the layoff you had, a five-month layoff, you were going to get the Washington version of Markel Fultz. It's just not, it's not realistic for a kid basically making his NBA debut. I know he played earlier in the season. A lot of that was alongside Ben Simmons in an off-ball role where he was just kind of fitting. And this is the first time he was really given the ball and told, this is your team while you're on the court. You were not getting that version of Marco Fultz. It was, just, it was impossible. Yeah. I, I mean, I saw a few he's back takes today. No, he's not. Which, which uh, I mean, let, let's we, we have to be honest here. I mean, there was the, the stat line that he was the first player to get 10, 8, and 4 in under 14 minutes since Danny Ainge, which is hilarious. And another piece of evidence that you can manipulate sports statistics in any way possible. 
It is it is perfect that it's Danny Ainge though. It's perfect. It's perfect. That's that's unbelievable. I mean, if you if we're being honest, like if you look at his assists, and this is more of a problem of how we credit assists nowadays. Uh, five of those felt like they were on contested jumpers by Covington and Ilyasova. Right. I mean, look, he did make a really. I, there was a nice. I think he had both pass. of Covington's four point plays, didn't he? Yeah. Which was uh, which tied a record, I believe. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I believe that tied the record for most four point plays in a in a game. By the, by the way, less uh, a less chatter about uh, Covington. Yeah, uh, the, the, last the, couple weeks, the you know? Covington and the Brett Brown takes have kind of normalized back to what they should be, which is which is nice. So yeah, it's funny how that happens. They uh, yeah, I, I thought Fultz made a really sweet behind the back pass to Embiid too, but I mean, come on. I, it, you look at his line. I don't think that's indicative of how he played. He got blocked three times and airballed another shot. His jumper did look better than than both what we saw in games back in October. I mean, those shots at the end, look, they were in garbage time, but he flat out could not do those in, in October. And he, he especially could not do those in those January. In January. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, we, what we saw in – those uh, those videos that we dissected, he wasn't even close to those. So that is really positive. That was my big takeaway. He is making progress, but it's also not what we saw at Washington. I mean, Colangelo even said that he's not back at a hundred percent, which uh, which was both honest and it, it makes this whole thing fascinating because I mean, look, I, I'm willing to watch a lot more, and I and I'm really curious to see him play through this, but this is pretty unprecedented that we're getting a guy who I I don't know what percentile you want to put on it is not operating with all of his tools but there's a reason why the Sixers are bringing him back and there could be some value in terms of confidence and that of course dates back to the the biggest variable in all of this what what's between Markel's ears him getting back on the court that could legitimately give him some momentum going into next season so while I think we could be looking at a guy who's missing a major aspect of his game, uh, there could be legit long-term value for this kid in finishing out the season and, and just being a normal part of the team. He won't hear as many questions about his offseason. There won't be sort of the mysterious cloud over everything he does. He won't have to uh, fear his return to the court. That is now behind him. And maybe he can just go into the gym, put his head down, and grind away and get that jumper back. But it's just it's just an interesting thing because he – I'm not sure he can shoot a three at this point. Right. I'm not sure either. Um, I mean, we've seen him take some threes in warm-ups. I'm not sure I see him doing that under game speed right now. I'm not sure right now it matters. And I don't, I don't mean that in terms of his effectiveness, but I mean in terms of – whether or not they should have brought him back. Like, if he can make 15, 17, 18-foot shots, and he's comfortable taking those, then I, it, that, to me, is enough to bring him back. I am surprised a little bit that they were so willing to bring him back uh, this late in the in the process. Like, I, basically, my take in the last few weeks was, look, I think the, the progress he's making is real. I think it's encouraging. I think it's what you hope to see. But I just wish there was another month left in the season where they could iron out, out some of these wrinkles and fix some of these bugs that are, are, are bound to exist. And I think they're still, like, I'm with you in that he wasn't 
as great as the stat line suggested last night. Like I think some of the the assists, like you said, were um, were tough shots that that people make that they won't always make. I, I do think there were some blown opportunities. Like he hit, um, I think it was Amir coming across the lane on a post up. Um, you know, where he got a screen, darted across the lane, got post position, and he hit him on some good shots. There were some good t- timing passes that he made that I was not expecting for somebody who's missed this much time. So I, you know, I think he performed, like we said, better than you could have hoped, better than um, I think any of us expected. And I think that's great. Him making that jump shot in-game, those two jump shots in-game action towards the end, one off that that pull-up jump shot was fantastic to see. I mean, it is something where that has been such a question mark. And like you said, just two months ago, in January, it would have been almost unfathomable with how far away he was. And Colangelo even said in his press conference, you know, there was a lot of time where he wasn't making a whole lot of progress, and then lately he's made a, a bunch. And we saw that a little bit in game action, but you, I mean, it, it really was, or not in game action, in practices, and you could see some of that that uh, in the game last night. And that, that that's great. I mean, it, it's it's get him in there. And I've been pretty firm in that I didn't think he was going to come back. And part of that was, you know, the team and where they were in their quest for a playoff spot. And part of that was that we just didn't see the the progress in Markel in January and early February. The fact that he has made enough where he you can put him out there and you don't have to worry, not that you don't have to worry about his confidence because that's been such a huge part of this whole process back. And I think it's going to be real interesting. You know, I think Denver last night, they had no idea he was going to be in that, that game. They had no, they were no, playing up on him. Yeah, what? they had no reason to think he would be in that game. So he wasn't in the scouting report. Uh, the Ram- they, they also suck defensively, too. They, so. they do suck defensively. That's true. The numbers bear that out. Um you know, they're a team with bad perimeter defenders and, and, and no front court defense to make up for that. And that, that's kind of the, the team you'd want to bring Markel back, especially yep. when they don't, they're not there preparing for him. It'll be interesting when they play, not that they have many great defensive teams left on their schedule, but even just teams that have a scouting report on him. But if he's at the point where he's willing to let those 17-foot jumpers off the dribble fly, then I do, uh, I have no problems at all pl- him playing. I think for his psyche, it's great to get him back out there and what he's been working towards this entire season. It's good to see some reward for that, and especially in, in in a case like this where the confidence and the mental aspect of it is so pronounced and is such a big part of it, for him to get that reward, I do think is I do think is worth it. Maybe that's a little bit of an about face on previous stances that I had, and again, a lot of that was just because the progress in January and early February was just not there. But if what we saw last night, forget forget making it, because I agree, some of those shots. Um, you know, there's still a lot, lot, up, lot before he's Markel or Washington Markel Fultz, but just the fact that he's taking it, it's it's such a it's such a great sign. It really is. Yep, like Sam Hinkie said, progress is not always linear, and fits and starts. Yeah, it's uh, and I agree. I, you know, as much as I want to pick apart his game, him just having the confidence to hit Plumley with that hang dribble and pull up and take that shot. Form didn't look perfect, but to, but to do that a couple of times, that could do wonders for a psyche. And again, I have no idea what to expect from this guy moving None. forward. Nope. So, you know, we're all we're all kind of going by the seat of our pants here. But uh, but last night was, I mean, it was certainly uh, an interesting night. And I, I will say that the city of Philadelphia 
his his teammates. Hold on, I got I got to interrupt you. Seamus just retweeted a tweet from the Sixers account uh, from October 2014. Check this starting five: Casper Ware, Elliot Chris Williams, Johnson. no, no El- Elliot Williams, Hollis Thompson, Brandon Davies, Henry Sims. Whew, that come a long way in three and a half years. Fits and starts, buddy. Fits and starts. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, but just just everybody from his his teammates, especially. I mean, the, the guys who are the core members, you know, Embiid, Simmons, Covington, Redick, all, all of these guys have just tried to lift this guy's spirits. And they're, you know, from from the fan base to the organization to Brett. Uh, Everybody is trying to get this kid back on track, and it's, it's something I've never honestly seen before. No. it. So, you know, we'll see. I Like, look, I, I wrote this at the end of my recap the other night. They're playing the Knicks on Wednesday, and that's fine. They're probably going to win by 30 because that's what they're doing, and the Knicks stink. But Markel Fultz is going to play some more NBA basketball on Wednesday night, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, if you want to talk playing against the Knicks as NBA basketball, yes, I agree. Um, <laughs> he's playing. He's playing half NBA. He's playing as on an NBA team against the uh, the Westchester Knicks. Right, right. Yeah. Which is funny because I I swear every podcast, every podcast group that was doing a, a preview of playing the Sixers over the last four years probably said that exact same line, and it's a little bit surreal to be on the other end of that comment. But uh, here we are with a team that should win clinched. fifty games. They, by the way, they really should. I mean, should's probably a strong word, but 538 now projects them to win 50 games. It's absurd. So. And the fact that they blew through these Wolves and Nuggets teams, two of the four <laughs> remaining teams that are semi-competent on the schedule, really uh, really makes that a much stronger possibility. We'll get to that in a second. Z- Zach Lowe called the rest of the schedule Angel Food Cake, <laughs> uh, which I thought, <laughs> while kind of a weird random dessert to bring up, was pretty fitting. It is a fitting analogy, and the schedule's perfect for Markel. Brett kind of threw out the 34 minutes for Simmons, 14 for Fultz. Um, you know, basically kind of a, a timeline, not a timeline, but a, a, a blueprint for what you could see the rest of the season, or at least for the immediate future. With teams like the Knicks coming up, that could reach 20 minutes, and playing against semi-NBA competition, it will be great to see him. It will be great for him to get that experience. and It'll be great to evaluate and see whether or not you can – you can put him on a, a, a bigger role going forward. I would right now be kind of surprised whether or not they put him on the court with Simmons. Like I think they really want to put the ball in his hands, let him create off the dribble, let him use that pick and roll, and let him shoot off the dribble too. And and I thought Kyle, before the game, asked uh, Brian Colangelo a, a pretty good question. Like, look, we haven't really seen him do any catch-and-shoot shots. This was clearly something he was working on in the summer as he was, he was trying to transition to a an off-ball role alongside Ben Simmons. I mean, at one point they started him in the I, – I forget who they started him next to, but some bullshit summer league point guard they started next to Fultz in the, in the summer league so he could get reps playing off the ball. And now it seems like they've kind of walked that back and said, look, you've been doing this you know, on ball, off the dribble, pull-up jumper thing your whole life. It's what, you, it's what you were great at. It's what made you such an elite prospect. Let's simplify the game down. Let's put you right back in, in your comfort zone as you're trying to get through back this relearn shooting mechanics and this, this, these confidence struggles. I think that's probably the right call. I'm not sure we'll see him play next to Ben Simmons at all. I know a lot of fans probably want to see him do that. But I think right now they just want to keep him at home. How dare you insult Casper Ware like that? Was that I, Casper I Ware? I, oh, no, I it wasn't. Yeah, I don't it wasn't. It was somebody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So, oh, I think it was Larry Drew actually. That that sounds vaguely right. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't, that was a long. That was a lifetime ago, man. We didn't even have a job at that point. No, I did. You did. Oh, uh, I did. I my own. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> was actually went out there for the sole reason of final. That pointless. Moving on. All right. Moving on to uh, to after the game. Markel, yeah. first time that we have been able to talk to him in five months. There yeah. was a uh, little interview with uh, Karan Butler in there that was weird, but we certainly – I mean, I think I said something to him. We, we were joking around with one of the PR people, but you can't ask him a formal question. Um, and there was an incident when a, a couple of reporters asked – Markel, what happened with your shoulder? Can you give us your side of that story? And Fultz, who was clearly coached up before this, not only deflected, not only said, you know, I I don't feel like talking about this right now. You know, I was going through some stuff, but now I'm just happy to be on the court with my teammates. No, he gave those questions the silent treatment and uh, the – the media criticism and the the whole conversation that's sort of been uh, going on Twitter and I, I've seen some on the radio and even some national platforms o- over the past, you know, 20 hours or so has been fascinating. To me. And, I, and, you know, we'll go on for a, a little bit, but I, I can sort of understand both sides for, for Markel, who's obviously going through uh, something unprecedented. And he uh, he definitely doesn't feel comfortable opening up about it. I, I understand not, not taking those questions. But, like, those questions were totally fair. Uh, they weren't about his personal life off the floor. He was not able to do his job for five months. And it's hard to pretend like that didn't happen when there was so much conflicting and vague information thrown out there. This kid was MIA for five months. And uh, I imagine he'll be asked more about it in the future if he plays. I mean, he's going to have to face questions from the media. I, You know, it's it's an interesting thing. I think Kyle put out a poll where he asked fans if they wanted Markell to be asked about what was going on. And I got to say, I was kind of shocked by the results. It was around 60-40 no when I last checked. And, uh, I mean, that's not something I agree about. But I would imagine – I don't. I don't know. It's 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 hard for me to uh, to di- digest that because I thought fans would want to know everything about this, even just just asking him the question. But th- this seems to be an extraordinary case here. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack here, uh, and it could take some time. So before we do that, let's take a quick word from our sponsor, which is fitting because it's related to packaging. Do you hate wasting time? Do you know that you can do just about anything online, on demand, and when it's convenient for you? Why then do we insist on getting in our car and driving to ship out packages? There's a better way. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk, 24-7, and when it's convenient for you. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter and any package using your own computer and printer, and have the mail carrier pick it up for you. Just click, print, mail and you're done it couldn't be easier if you're my age you probably have a lot of friends and relatives getting married and you may be lucky enough to be convinced to help organize such an event a huge undertaking 
Having gone through this recently myself, Stamps.com was an absolute lifesaver in sending out invitations and save the dates, helping me save precious time in what could have been an otherwise stressful event. I've also found it extremely useful for the podcast, mailing giveaways and promotions, and even in my own personal life. So we've set up a tremendous offer for the listeners of this podcast, a package which includes up to $55 in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. To claim this special offer, use promo code BEAT right now. Go to Stamps.com before doing anything else, and I mean anything. Hit the pause button. Go do it right now. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BEAT. Again, that's Stamps.com. Enter promo code B-E-A-T. All right, back uh, back to the coverage of Markel Fultz. One of the things that I guess I'll start off with is, you know, there were a lot of people who thought we were out of line asking about his shoulder injury. And neither of you or I asked the question. We, we just kind of relayed what happened. But there's no part of me that thinks the people who did ask the questions were wrong or out of line. And if those questions weren't asked, I, I would have had no problem bringing it up, too, because I think they're legitimate questions worth asking. And I think a lot of people take the stance of, well, you know, don't you care? Don't you have any empathy for the kid? Sure. <laughs> a lot of empathy. And here's, here, here's kind of the thing. I think there's this misnomer about reporters that they don't, they're not, they're, since you're always trying to be unbiased, that there's an emotional detachment to what you're doing. And I can sit there and I can watch what's happening in that building. I can see how, how broken up Brett Brown is about it. I can see the support the fans are giving and see what kind of magical moment that is. I can tweet out, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting for me because I tweeted maybe a dozen things positive about the game last night, about Mark Hill's return, about, like I said, Brett Brown's reaction, how the fans supported him, how he played. Like, it was just a string of positive, feel-good things. I started writing, or at least writing an outline of my column this morning, which was almost entirely positive about the return of Markel Fultz. And then you relay one tweet about him not answering questions about the shoulder, and all of a sudden you're a blood-sucking vampire who only wants to tear people down and cause controversy to build up your name. <laughs> and it's like, it was funny watch, like, clicking on a lot of those people, almost none of them followed you. And it's like, they had that reaction just based off of one tweet, without any of the context of any of your other tweets or thoughts or opinions or the column you're writing or, or any of that stuff. And it's, it's interesting how quick people are to flip on this core issue. Because for five yeah. months, Rich, we were told on a daily basis from many fans, why, what's, going on? what's going on with Markel? Why aren't you finding out? What why are you gonna, asking more questions? Why, what why are you going to do when you talk to Colangelo? Why aren't you asking Fultz? about it what are you going to ask Fultz about it when he's available to you like why is this unprecedented situation that's costing the number one pick in the draft that they gave up two draft picks for why is it essentially costing him his rookie season Fultz hasn't been available to us at any point since this injury occurred the last time we talked to him they had not yet acknowledged this injury existed so there's been so much speculation so much controversy clouded in such mystery so much conflicting reports that you finally get a chance to talk to Markel and give him the chance to set the record straight from his own account. Asking him, hey, did you, was there something specific that happened to your shoulder or was it something gradual over time? Asking him that after he just missed five months and just returned from that injury is not out of bounds. There's no part of me that believes that's out of bounds. There's no part of me that believes that's picking on the kid. We have a job to do. And a lot of times... That doesn't mean we have to ask only the easy questions. That doesn't mean we have to cover only the positive stories. 
if you let emotions and emotions are kind of something that's unavoidable. Like you, it's it's almost impossible for reporters to be around players like this and not feel any emotions, have any opinions about who they are, about how they're acting, all that stuff. It's almost impossible to be emotionless. Like we're not actually robots. What you can't do is let that seep into your coverage. So if JJ Redick, you know, he had some strong words against us earlier in the in, in the season about how Markel was being covered. If I then took JJ's strong words and criticism and let that seep into my coverage, I wouldn't be doing my job. That would be professionally be a very bad move on my part. By the same token, if I look at Markel Fultz and I say, look, this kid's overcome a lot. This kid has has done something that I think none of us really grasp everything that's going on that none of us can really speak for because we don't know exactly how much is affecting him. And I say, man, it's such a great moment. I'm not going to ask him the tough questions now. I'm not doing my job in that instance too. And a lot of times fans, if we like say go to Brian Colangelo press conference and we don't follow up on him, fans will get on us for not following up on him. Like, why are you not pursuing the truth? But when it's a little more of a, um, you know, empathetic character, somebody that the fans like, then following up and doing your job is seen in a very negative light, like you're, uh, like I said, a, a blood-sucking vampire. But you can't, again, you can't let that impact you. Like my coverage, we 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 think a lot about, you know, about credibility, and not just in what you report in the facts, but in what your your motivations are. And this is a story. It's a story that a lot of fans care about. You you brought up that that Kyle Newbeck poll. Okay, 60% right now say they don't care about it. That means 40% of 3,200 do. And that's, a, that's a, a significant portion of the fan base, if that's representative. And I would guess, you know, people that are online following the team every day, they probably care less than maybe the casual fan who's just annoyed that the number one pick missed half the season and don't know all the ins and outs. That means there's a very sizable fan base everywhere that does care. So you have to ask a question. It's, very, it's, it's, it's a question that we would be derelict in our responsibilities if we didn't ask when Markel's back, who's never been asked about this injury. It's just, it's, we can't think of it as, we're not here to be a PR staff. I'm sorry. And sometimes that's going to lead to some awkward situations, but I don't fault any of the reporters who asked the questions. I would have asked questions myself. And I, I, I don't think that we were in poor taste to ask those questions. I really don't. Yeah. We, we certainly haven't liked covering this story, Put that, put it that way. Uh, but it is what has happened so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Never a dull moment. No, no, there's not. Um, so, fifty wins. They have to go seven and two. Percent chance they actually do that? Oh, I'm going high. I'm saying seventy percent. Yeah, I was, I was thinking sixty, sixty-five. Yeah, that's absurd, Rich. I mean, they these games lately haven't even been remotely competitive. Like, if the bench doesn't blow a enormous lead against the Pistons. Like, we're talking about, what, four straight blowouts? Yeah, and that game next Friday against Cleveland could just be massive. <laughs> that, that could be for the three seed and the difference. Although, I got to say, Washington is uh, is starting to slump a little bit, so maybe you would play them in the three six instead of Indiana. Um, or even Boston, fall to seven. With yeah. how many injuries they have. Not that you maybe want to fall play, to seven, but yeah. Maybe play the Bucks, but I, I think the, the real reason you'd want the three seed, though, is because of Boston in the second round. Yep. And, my God, they're 
I can't believe I'm saying this. There is a legitimate path <laughs> to the Eastern Conference, to the Eastern Finals. Conference yeah. Finals, where I think I, they'd probably lose. But and it doesn't require two players getting injured like 2012. Yeah. No, although it, I guess it, one of them already did in in Kyrie, but whatever. Kyrie, but ugh, it's, it's insane. It's it's really insane. And that's why, like I said, it was funny yesterday because I wrote, I got shit because I talked about the the Sixers building blocks or core players, and I included Markel instead of Dario. And you're like, well, how can you include Markel when he hasn't played a game and Dario's out here balling every night? And it's like, because I think Markel's that good. I think he has that much talent. So I got. Shit for singing Markel's praises too much, and then hours later I got shit because um, because you relayed a, an instance where Markel because we were mean and asked questions about one of the most perplexing injuries in recent memory, and yeah. it's just it's it's the way that you're not going to please everyone at this point, yeah. like it's impossible. But we do really think this team is that good. I do really think Markel is that good, and he can, he can become what he is. And I'll tell you what, Rich. I think Dario's pretty good too. Dario's pretty good too. He he turned into a borderline elite role player, which yeah. when you drafted him in 2014, you said, "Look, a lot of I think how how does Mike phrase it? He called it like frumpy lump post play. It's probably not going to translate at the level it did in the Croatian and and then the uh, Turkish league. So he's going to have to become a knockdown three point shooter. And for him to do that and be the off ball threat that he is has been great. The Sixers, if Markel comes back and is the prospect that we believe. He was when, when we signed off on the trade that they made, and that, frankly, I still think he has the kind of upside to become. This team is going to be very dangerous. I mean, they're right now, I looked it up since January 1st, they have the third best net rating in all of the NBA. And it's not even that, you know, they're behind, I think, Toronto and Houston. They're not even that far behind those guys, Rich. And yeah, part of that is that the Warriors have had injuries. But part of that Look, when you're talking about the third best in the NBA over a 37-game span, you're doing a lot right. And that was that was my main point. This is a team with a lot of upside this year. This is a team that right now is playing better basketball than either the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Boston Celtics. And this is a team where if Markel becomes what I still think he has the upside to become, and if they can go out and attract a free agent or make a trade, I mean, this could be fun, Rich. This could be This could be a start. When was the last time the Sixers had a real extended era of winning? It would have to be the early 80s, right? Before the Moses trade. Because, yep. I mean, the AI era, like they had one season above 50 wins. Um, that wasn't an extended stretch of dominance by any stretch of the imagination. It was an extended stretch of fun basketball. And, and the rise of that team was prolonged and fun to watch. And as I'm thinking about it now, a lot of our listeners may not have even been around for much of that rise, which makes me feel really old. But this could be the best era of Sixers basketball. It should be the best era of Sixers basketball if they make the right decisions and health permitting. In 30-plus years, Rich, it's it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. Yeah, they're uh, – I mean, it's – and to bring it back full circle to Markel, who we talked about for most of this podcast, it's a really good situation for him to come back into because – there is so much other positive stuff going on where if he uh if he can just play and, and it doesn't even have to be at the highest level but just you know show some flashes here and there there's so much other positive stuff going on that i you know if, if he becomes a regular part of the rotation he won't be focused on as much as he was last night no and i mean again i don't want to really go too deep into this again we already talked about most of it but I think 
I don't think anybody really expected to get the truth out of Markel, but I think a lot of fans had the expectation when he's back, we should get his explanation, his side of the story. And I think last night, more than anything, you wanted to offer him the chance to do that with the realization that you probably weren't going to focus, like you said, on this too much going forward. Because, oh, by the way, this is a team making a playoff run that could challenge for a third seed and win 50 games. And there's just so many positive things to focus on. You almost get this out of the way. Maybe he, he, he discusses it. He's a little more open with it in the offseason. And you move on. And I think by just the silent treatment, that may not now happen, um, which is, again, why it was, was a, a bad PR move. But, like you said, this is a perfect spot for him. Even playing in a game was a perfect spot to get this done because you had, you know, if you have six minutes to talk to him, you're going to spend three of it talking about the game, only three of it to talk about the shoulder in the last few months. Whereas in a practice, you might have had a lot more focus on on the shoulder. This was really the, the perfect spot for him to kind of diffuse this and put it in the rearview mirror. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But look, bottom line, Markel's made a lot of progress in the last two months, a lot of progress that I wasn't sure he would make in this amount of, of, of time. He's back on the court. That's great for him. It could give the team a boost if he's able to get in the paint the way he did at times last night. And it's a team that's, that's going places. Going places not only the playoffs, but winning a round is, is, is very much in play. Winning two rounds, like you said, if things break right, is an impossibility. And this is a pretty incredible run. It really, I, I, every time I look at what they've done recently, every time I look at what they've done in the second half of the season, I think I get a little more surprised and startled by it because nobody expected any of this this quickly. Nobody. Yep. All right. I think uh, I think that's probably a good spot. This was meant to be a quick Markel Fultz emergency podcast, which we can't necessarily have as quick of a turnaround as some because we were at the game last night and had to write about it. But thanks for jumping on, Rich. We'll talk to you soon. See you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Thank you.